Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. Still without any uh, great introduction at the moment, this podcast, because, well, what what do we say right now? I'm Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. Yeah, wonderful news this week. We finally have a, a cure for all the woes of the <laughs> SPFL. Uh, every club is going to be given free bleach for them <laughs> and for their supporters. And if you gargle that bleach simultaneously, both reconstruction and a resumption of the season will occur. At least that's what we're told. Who would you take at the head of your organisation, Neil Doncaster or Donald Trump? Doncaster, 100 times out of 100. Yeah. Because he's honest. Yeah. He might too. not be very good, but at least he's honest. Well, I don't go that far, but he's more honest than, than you Mr. know what. Trump. In a court of law, um, saying someone is dishonest is uh, not a good thing because you have to prove how they're dishonest, or they'll sue the the ass off you. Uh, I, I'm basing it on the fact that there's probably more chance, even although it's zero point zero zero whatever, of Neil Doncaster listening to this and listening and hearing that he's being called honest than there is Donald Trump listening to this, who would sue anything, but I think he's got other things on his mind right now, um, apart from uh, listening to Around the Funnel. Yeah, a weird kind of week. Apologies for, for being slightly later than normal. I had a couple of messages saying, where are you? <laughs> uh, people really must be bored. Um, yeah, we, we, we elected just to, to wait. We said it last week. We're going to wait until after the UEFA meeting, see what the fallout was. And as I messaged you this morning, it seems that every time we have a podcast, it's only a few hours previously that Hart seemed to release a statement. Yes. So I guess we were hoping for some more definitive news and updates, be that from UEFA or the SPFL. As it turns out, it's, it's I guess, more talk. Um, more certainly more updates but whether it's giving anything more concrete or just opening up more questions is, is certainly up for debate but we will talk about um, what has come out from UEFA and the latest goings on in, in football not just in Scotland because of course other countries and other leagues may well set precedents or vice versa with Scottish football God forbid and we will also I guess look at what hearts have said because as mark says hearts have released a statement just earlier today this is uh fright god i still can never I, I is can... this day or that day or the it's, other day it's... i think it's the other day today yes it's it's friday um many of you will be in the same friday, boat. Does, that mean, does that mean we've got does that mean we've got a massive weekend coming up yeah no. probably who knows um just they all blend into each other at the moment and we're also going to talk about uh, some of your suggestions for best academy graduates at heart of midlothian we're a week behind with homework we didn't get around to that one so we're going to touch upon that one today and ah yeah you know as usual let's see where it goes so first up uh, let's quickly mention the spfl because uh there was lots of calls for an independent investigation, not just by us, but by many parties uh, across the country. And it turns out the SPFL have have arranged themselves an independent. <laughs> if, if, if you could see me, I would be doing, um, I'd, be, I'd be very exaggerated, Joey-esque, um, inverted commas of 
their independent investigation, which was arranged by Deloitte. I always want to look at that name and and make it sound French or something, but it is just Deloitte, isn't it? Yes. Yes. It's just, you know, when you look at him, is it Deloitte? No, it's Deloitte. Um, So Deloitte apparently did um, an independent investigation. I don't know. See, when the name Deloitte comes up, I just think of accounting and finance. Is that just me? No, that's that's fair. But I've not heard one word mentioned as often in such a short space of time since Jim White was on Talk Sport (laughs) talking about Farhad Mashiri, um, the Everton owner. Um, Deloitte's examination of phone records, mobile (laughs) communications, including texts and email data has identified no evidence of improper behaviour by SPFL personnel (laughs) concerning the submission of the Dundee FC vote. The SPFL's independent non-executive director, Karen McCluskey, wrote in a letter to clubs. I found it interesting that you moved swiftly on from homework to begin this topic because there's a link and that link is the equivalent of us marking our own homework (laughs) and giving each of us an A plus and that's the same as this independent inquiry by the SPFL into to Dundee why why did this email not go when PDFs from other clubs got through so (laughs) why 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 have we not out anything else yet oh because they're not having a a properly independent look into to what's going on now would be the perfect time for rangers to come out with a hammer yeah Um, not george alberts but just to say (laughs) here's what the whistleblower said here's all the new evidence over to you the longer this goes on without that evidence i smell shite again but even even taken because i you know who knows what that whether they were you know, playing their card and calling everyone's bluff. I don't know the Rangers' evidence, but even beyond that, I mean, it's been confirmed what there was no interviews with SPFL board members, no one interviewed or spoke to any club representatives, and no external evidence of any kind was reviewed or provided. So, (laughs) what, they just looked at some of the internal messages that the SPFL put forward? I mean, who set the parameters here? Well, the SPFL, I assume. We need you to investigate some internal communication by us. Here's the internal communication. Look at it. Let's, like, like, I mean, to be honest, I've not really looked into what came out much. As soon as I saw some summaries of it, I was like, fuck off. I mean, come on. It's just a piss stick. I mean, it's nothing. It's bollocks. It's just... <laughs> what sort of... Keep going. Honestly, keep, keep going with this because you're, you're absolutely spot on. With everything you've just said, a couple of um, a couple of non-Disney words. So apologies. Normally we leave them until the second half when the kids are in bed. Um, but but you're right. Oh, here's what we we want you to examine. Here's the evidence. Examine this evidence. Uh, happy with that? Yep. Okay. There you go. We've had an independent inquiry, and we've come up with with absolutely nothing. Look, it's a private members' organisation. I mean, it's like it's like going into the strip club on Albion Road. And asking for a list of all the people who have come in last night and got a lap dance. You're not going to get that. Because they're private members club, right? And they haven't done anything wrong, or so they claim. So why would they give you that detail? So it's very, very difficult. It's, it's not like this is, this is a public um, civil servant or civil service issue 
whereby they have to answer to, to everyone. And you can have a Freedom of Information Act or, or whatever. Look, this is a private members organization. There are 42 members of the Scottish Professional Football League, plus the additional ones, however that is, is structured, various uh, through various uh, kind of east of Scotland and west of Scotland um, organisations as well. You've got the Scottish Football Association, which is part of Scottish football as a whole. It's very difficult for outsiders to come in and to say, we want this, we want that, and we want whatever. It's like knocking on someone's door. The problem here is they don't have to open the door to you. And that is the problem. You'll never find out if the curtains and carpets match because they don't need to allow you into their private house. That is the problem. And that's why it's going to be very, very difficult to have any independent inquiry. Because right now they're going to give Deloitte or whoever what they want to give them. And that's going to be all above board. It's a mess. Exactly. It's you know what it needs it needs a Netflix series. A Netflix series. <laughs> they, to be honest, with some of the stuff that gets on Netflix, I wouldn't be surprised. And it's one of the I don't know if you've watched um they're doing uh, they've got one at the moment, The Innocence Files, which is mm-hmm. I've got that to watch, good, I haven't seen it yet. Quite good. Um but I I can never get over the how 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 many huge flaws the criminal justice system has in your country it's just uh, oh. unbelievable but one of the things i was going to say it's, you, you didn't even need to mention the criminal justice system just, you yeah. could have just said how many flaws in your country <laughs> yeah but that in particular because it's yeah, it's mind-boggling but one of the at one point in one of the episodes one of the guys who's getting interviewed this is i'm not going to give anything away of specifics but he just says um um an eyewitness is like a sausage and it's like what? Eh? I was like, where the f- where are you going with that? <laughs> Basically, the analogy... Sounds like one of my tangents. That yes. I have no idea where, where we're going to end up. It, it was. It was a bit like that, yeah. But basically, his explanation was the fact that the jury hear this eyewitness giving testimony in front of everyone, but don't realise that where that where this testimony's come from, as in it, it starts with the animals and then they're ground down in horrible ways and bits of the animals you don't want to see and it goes through all these processes which aren't very nice to look at and you don't really want to know about but what you get is a nice tasty looking sausage at the end of it but they don't think about the fact that that's not what this thing was to begin with and it was basically talking about the fact that the eyewitnesses that were giving testimony didn't say this initially this was after months and months of coaching and speaking to the prosecution and law enforcement who made them basically say certain things in the end and effectively it comes out that this was not really what they thought. They were very much coaxed and coerced into this. And in fact, in one of them, this is this this is where the SPFL in America could compare. One of them, <laughs> one of them, I didn't think it was that bad. You know, the person got sent down. I was like, okay, it's a little bit dodgy, but I can understand why the jury would kind of do it on this. What had happened? Turns out there was a uh, there was a first trial where the jury didn't believe anything the eyewitnesses said, so it was a mistrial. So they just got a second trial. And by that point, they'd coached the eyewitnesses to speak better. And the jury didn't even realise, the new jury didn't realise it was the second trial. I mean, come on. Well, that, that, come that's on. similar to make, making a murderer. Yeah. Where a, yeah. you could suggest that Brendan Dassey was was coerced into to saying that. Look, 
I, I know this is this is as good a tangent as we've been on with sausages and and, and whatever. We will, I've got we will cabin be fever. I'm turning into you. I, I know, I know. I, don't please never turn into me. You don't you don't want to do that. But I, I get where you're going with the analogy comparing um, Netflix and and the SBFL because with regards to to Netflix, we I'm sure you've watched Tiger King. If you've not, many people yes, who are I listening. Well, yeah, what else am I, we'll, we'll I going to do right now? <laughs> Oh, fair point. But the thing is, we can only believe or we can only make our mind up based on what we're told. And if there's an agenda and and in that, I mean, so many people are are talking about, oh, Joe Exotic. He is a nasty bastard. And he's quite rightly in jail. And he's not the only one that should be in there. But we've kind of been told what we've been told because it suits a narrative. And it's the same with the SPFL. We've kind of been told what we've been told because they want it to suit a narrative. The problem is... The SPFL need Netflix screenwriters for some help because right now their narrative has got so many holes in it and it can be picked apart, but that's externally because you can't get into their inner sanctum. Whereas at least Netflix know how to tell a story. They may have a narrative. They may be pushing you down one road, but then if they do, you can only make your mind up based on whether it's the staircase, who pushed who, whether it's making a murderer. (laughs) With the SPFL... They have they have this issue. The story they're trying to concoct is full of lies and is utter shite. That's the problem we've got. And there has to be an element of truth. There has to be an element of trust that we actually... And I think it's gone beyond the point of no return now. Once you've made your mind up on something, there's very few things that can happen. But with this, it just seems to be going on for so long. I'm not just talking about this vote and the, the reconstruction. Scottish football's... The view of Scottish football and the authorities, it doesn't matter what what they do right now, it's tarnished. They needs a, a fresh brush to come in yeah. and to, to sweep out what's there. Otherwise, they're never going to get the trust of the most important people. And I've said it before, the 43% um, in this country that go to the football is more than anywhere else. Your paying customers are being shat on from a great height. Here's a random, not uh, not a full homework. That wasn't that... random enough. No, no, no. I was going to say, what would you? And this, I'm asking, maybe you and the listeners, what would you title this show to sell to Netflix? How would you sell it to them? What would you title it? Oh, that's a good question. Um... A Netflix expose, a focus on the corruption, the scandal in Scottish football. What would you? What would you title? How would you sell them it with well, that? You... It doesn't even have to be Netflix because we could just hypothetically say, look, instead Amazon of Amazon, Prime? <laughs> yeah, or, or or whoever BBC have got the the cameras in it at Hearts or have had, and Amazon have been in at Spurs this year as well. Um, they they call some of them all or nothing. What would you call something with with Scottish football if instead of going to Hearts, if it was the BBC, instead of going to Sunderland, if it was Netflix, instead of going to Spurs, if it was Amazon, what if those three did an expose? On the SPFL, what would you call it? That is a roundabout way of using up 45 seconds to try and come up with an idea. So what would you call it, Laurie? <laughs> you might, you can't come up with that and then not have some thunder, um, thunder bastard of a suge- suggestion oh, ready. No, to it was call. off the cuff. I don't, I don't plan these things. Um, oof. I don't know. I was trying. You probably want to for 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 comedy value. You'd probably want to. Have a play on words from another, another yeah, documentary. Yeah, a bit of alliteration, I think, with with, with Scottish football. Um, how about, here's one, how about 
skullduggery and subterfuge in Scottish football. <laughs> I'm not sure. Do you know what subterfuge means? I've I've heard it. Uh, you're gonna have to remind me. Subterfuge is deceit used in order to achieve one's goal. There we go. We call it subterfuge and skullduggery. That's the name of our Netflix, Amazon, BBC expose on the SPFL. Subterfuge and skullduggery. And if that's not the title of this podcast, I am not coming back next week. Okay. No, that's that's a good suggestion. It's better than what I've come up with, which is zero. So if you've got anything else, tell us. (laughs) Let us know. Maybe... What would you call a Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever documentary or expose on Scottish football? Let us know. Okay, so moving on a little bit from the SPFL onto UEFA. It all links in, of course. Uh, so UEFA have had updates. Now, I'll be honest, I've just been looking at some of the summaries and updates because I'm bored of hearing so much, reading so much detail on things. So. You can you can correct me if I'm wrong or add. So um, UEFA's updates, which they didn't just happen in one go, did it? There's they've been stuff been getting fed out there throughout the week. It seems uh, they still want leagues to finish, but they're now accepting it might not happen if governments place official order that prohibits sporting events or uh, continuing the season creates insurmountable economic problems and risks long-term financial instability. I think was some of the wording I saw. Um, if a league cannot be completed in full, UEFA prefers leagues to finish the season with a different format, which suggests possible small playoff systems. How, the, how on earth this is going to work, I don't know. Um, I think the quote was, preferable domestic competitions restart with a different format in a manner which would facilitate sporting merit. Um, if seasons cannot be completed normally via playoffs, clubs uh, must be selected with... Uh, and I think this is quoting, the ability to decide final positions having regard to the specific circumstances of each competition. Honestly, the ambiguity of everything is just frustrating. This means places as they stand uh, could be basically done on points per game or just, yeah, like as the leagues are, for instance. Um, UEFA reiterates if a league terminates without government decree or economic problems, clubs could be barred from next season's UEFA Champions League or Europa League. Um, UEFA can refuse an association's list if it hasn't been selected on sporting merit. It's just words. It's just words. Exactly. It's it's so ambiguous. It's not committing on anything. It's saying, we still want you to finish, but we understand now if you can. If you can't, we really want you to do it in a different way, which keeps things um, sporting and fair. But if you can, and it's interesting, the main update... Is it? No, what is going, it interesting? Not that part. That part's not. The, the interesting yeah. thing is going to say is what has happened today in the Netherlands. Um, yes. Now the, let's. That that's the thing. Yeah. So they've that's, called that's this. The yeah. yeah. They've called they this have. season as void. They've said there's no winners. There's no promotion. There's no relegation. And what they have done is allocate the European places based on current positions. So that's an interesting precedent. Albeit the caveat here is that Utrecht are already not happy with that because. And this is maybe a bit of a Park Thistle um, situation here. They were three points behind uh, Willem... Uh, Willem Tve. Willem Tve. Yes, I knew there was a number there. Um, who And they had a game in hand over them, and they had a better goal difference. And also add to the fact that Utrecht were in the cup final, which would have also given them another shot at a Europa League place. So 
they're not happy about it and apparently they're looking at legal action but very interesting and i understand this is still netherlands have canvassed uefa to get a basically approval for this and the approval is going to be based on the european places i'm going to guess really do you want a heart's link to all of this mm-hmm. mark de vries yep mark de vries is an assistant coach at de Graafschap. um they right now are seven points clear of Volendam. Um, they are behind Cambour, who Mark de Vries used to play for. Mm-hmm. But those two, Cambour and de Graaf Schap, um, de Graaf Schap, Schap, de Graaf Schap, yes, whoever, um, they were coming up. <laughs> they were the two who were... Did Andy, Driver, did Andy Driver not play for them? Uh, yes, he did. Sorry, sorry, just... Sorry. No, that, that's fine, that's fine. Um, so... Yeah, they, they were going to come up, but now there's no promotion um, from the Erste Divisie to the Eredivisie. So, unfortunately, um, Mr. De Vries, who was looking forward to being in the top flight next season, as long as they continued their form. Uh, so, not just Utrecht unhappy, but Mark and various others at Cambour and yeah. De Grafskap will be unhappy as well. But again, there's, it's very difficult to, to put this in layman's terms. The number of retweets of the Dutch story when it broke earlier today by fans of a certain club that may play in Govan <laughs> compared um, rather favourably with retweets from, from anyone else that supports other clubs not in, in Govan. And you can understand that. Was it, was it just well, the Netherlands, Orange, Orange? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no hey, our away kits in that season are Orange because of <laughs> Arthur uh, Newman. And Arthur Newman and Ronald Burr, Michael Malls, and everyone like that. Yes, of course they are. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something that will be monitored. But let's let's see why it was called. Let's see why they've decided there will not be a champion, and they could do the same in Spain. If we don't play, if we can't get behind closed doors, and I know Germany's trying to do it, and I know Italy's trying to do it, um, but Ajax and AZ are both on fifty six points. Uh, Feyenoard are on 50, PSV on 49. So they've decided they're not going to have a champion. So some Rangers fans are thinking, hey, we've got a game in hand. We've still got two games against Celtic. We've 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 just beaten them. And and you never know. No. The, Celtic are the best team in this league right now because they've been the most consistent team and they've got the results on the board. Yeah, things can happen. As you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, St Mirren came from 11 points back. Sorry, mm-hmm. St Mirren came from a point back to finish 11 points clear of Dundee at the bottom last year. So points can points can be made up. But if Nicola Sturgeon standing on a lectern every single day telling people, look, I know you've got all these romantic notions about wanting to go with your pals to the pub and then onto the game and be in front of a full house and watch your team and everything like that. She's spot on. Politicians, in this instance, you can't, you can't try and sugarcoat it. And I know both sides over here, Republicans and Democrats, governors in this country and mayors are trying to get this country back up and running. We're ahead of the curve um, a little bit more than, than you guys, but we're not all the Georgia governor who's basically come out and said we're going to open nail salons and tattoo parlors and whatever. As Andrew, as Andrew Cuomo, the New York governor, said a couple of days ago, I tell you what, I'm not sure I'd fancy getting a tattoo for someone who's six feet away maintaining social distances with a, the kind of size of, of that needle that's going to be required from six feet away. That, that's the problem that, that we have here. 
um, with with all this kind of no one knows about what's what's going to go on. Um, and and we'll just have to wait and see. But it ain't going to be it ain't going to be normal. It's not going to yeah. be the normal that that we knew um, ever again. I don't know what the new normal is going to be, but whether or not this happens, um, they may have to call it. I mean, what if UEFA want Champions League in August? And they think everything can be done by July. What if what if Italy don't start again at the end of May or beginning of June that they hope to do behind closed doors? I mean, I've, I've got CNN on, not 24-7 here, but that's, that's the kind of go-to here. And even they're saying that the United Kingdom is fearful of a second wave <laughs> that may happen over the next few months. Then what? I mean, when you listen to these people, when you read these articles about what it's going to take, Michael Grant wrote an excellent piece in The Times what it's going to take um, to, to get people back to football stadia or stadiums, it's, it's practically impossible under the, the current or um, guidances that, that will be in place going forward. It just ain't going to happen. So yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't know what you do. I, I mean, I'm fine with, with, I'm fine with Celtic winning the league. And you know what, Laurie? I said last week, I thought that there'd be reconstruction. And I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I'm, I'm basing it on that. I don't know why I think that. I'm not sure now. I, honestly, I'm 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 not sure. I think there's there's from listening to Radio Scotland Sports Sound last week, I, there's there's too many voices involved in this, and there's too many there's too many hungry people want a piece of a a, a pretty small pie. And as this week's gone on, I've kind of I haven't resigned myself to playing Championship football next season, but I've kind of thought, you know what, if that's what it's going to be, then so be it. Let's get on with it, and especially with today's statement of. Um, the wage cuts as opposed to wage deferrals. Next few months are going to be very, very interesting, aren't they? Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> the thing is, I mean, the WHO, which obviously are all are going to err on the side of caution extremely as much as they can, basically don't want any, any consideration for football until the end of next year, I think they've said, which it's just not going to happen because you just, who are you going to have left? I mean, how many clubs will have gone under? by that point. So there is so much going on. What still baffles me, and there's no point, I'm not going to get into too much detail, is the fact, why are we why are we making these decisions right now? I still don't really see the point, in all honesty. If you release the money and that's it, and then wait and see, basically. It's all you can do. I don't see why, I don't, I don't see why the Netherlands are rushing into it, to be honest, because I can't see football by September. To be honest, this is when we're all guessing. No one knows. No one's been right so far. So why is suddenly everyone going to be right and say, "Well, we're going to be back by September or or August"? I, I guessed. I guessed a few weeks ago, and I'm going to stick with that guess, right? And I went long term, and that guess was simply: there's so much water that's still to be under the bridge or go under the bridge that I can't see football as we know it, um, which is played in front of, of stadiums with with full houses. I can't see that happening this year again. No. No. And I, I said to you, um, and this isn't a case of I told you so, because n nothing's been decided yet. Um, I said one of the options might be to have a, a calendar year season from January of 2021 through until when you can get it finished in November with the Euros in the middle. And that would give us the rest. That would it would give us the rest of 2020 to resolve issues, to solve problems. So you wouldn't have to call leagues like the Dutch have done. That could be called in September or October. Now, that's fine 
speaking like that as far as on-field is concerned, the problem being you would still have to keep people on the payroll. Yeah. Uh, how, how would you do that with players? That That's when it becomes very difficult. That's when a, an idea, like I'd said, about using the rest of this year to, to play out this season – it's it's fraught with with financial issues as well yeah. because as you just said how many clubs are going to be able to survive doing that are you going to furlough all your players are you going to use clause 12 in the SPFL contracts which says if there's no games that you're eligible not to play them which hearts may have to do um or i mean i i think i sent you this in a message uh, earlier regarding someone in the game who who sent me a message i said what did you think about hearts doing what they've they've done today and the argument was, well, it's not ideal. However, if this goes on for three, four, five months, if it goes on for five months, for example, Hibs, it would cost them a million pounds, okay? Deference and and whatever they've, they've agreed with their staff. It would cost Rangers 10 million. They're basically 2 million a month. Hibs are about 200 grand a month in maintenance and wages and whatever. And if you're deferring... You're still going to pay it back. So that's going to be a debt that you're going to have, which you still have to pay when you've yeah. not been getting money through the turnstiles when it turns around. And for Hearts, look, it's not ideal. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there won't be that if it's a wage cut. But if you're then invoking the clause to the contract, does that mean that players can then walk away um, under freedom of contract? Again, this is when you need an expert in contract law. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so just in case people hadn't seen it, so the Hearts statement, I'm not going to go to the main part of it is the fact Anne has basically said they paid full wages for March. Um, she's now put a proposal which she hopes everyone accepts, which is for wage cuts. Now, um, if not, she then suggested the only other viable option would be to suspend contracts with no pay, which is basically under Clause 12 of the SPFL contract, um, which is based on... It's the part of it which I think is based on the fact that if leagues can't be played, player contracts can effectively be suspended. Um, so, I I don't understand why that's not the obvious route here. Because even if you look at the fact, you look at the average person, the 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 normal working person in the UK just now, most people are furloughed and are taking wage cuts. And from a personal perspective, I made the decision to do that for me as well. I didn't even have to in my day job, um, because I was the manager, but. I did it with me and all the staff because it made no sense from for the business not to do that. Obviously, it's slightly different with with staff at the levels we're at because you can claim percentage of it back um, under obviously the job re- retention scheme that the UK are operating. But why is the normal person accepting this? Is this is just what we have to do? You know, businesses are stretched, the economy is stretched, everyone is. St- is going to struggle through this to a certain degree. Why wouldn't footballers have to, given there's absolutely no danger they'll be doing anything anytime soon? It just seems... I'm baffled that it's not just obvious that they should be de- taking a wage cut, if everyone else can. People who are on... And I, I, there's, there's a relativity, so I'm not saying that footballers should just take a wage cut because they earn X amount, because some footballers don't earn a huge amount, Some, and a lot of them will have... you know, outgoings relative to you know they live to their means so they'll have outgoings which are based on them earning x amount of money but why they wouldn't take a percentage whenever you know when a lot of other people are and a lot of other people are losing their jobs who can't you know companies have had to basically cut people 
they couldn't because the way that the job retention scheme in the UK works is companies do have to pay the wages and then claim it back. Some companies just couldn't do that. So the, the quicker people accept that, I think the better. Like you said with Hibs and Rangers, you, you can defer all you want, but we're not going to be getting, you're not going to be having any more income in for four or five months at least anyway. So yeah, you're going to accumulate all these all this debt effectively you're basically it's 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 almost like a zero yeah you're taking a loan effectively that you're gonna have to pay back no interest just now but you're gonna have to pay it back so yeah it makes no sense to me i don't know why people think it's harsh of hearts to take that approach it's just a realistic approach it's a sensible approach to be honest can't disagree with that i I think we can't complain that we've we we've been kept in the loop. Um, there have been regular statements from Anne uh, and from the club keeping us up to date. Um, there might have been movement of goalposts, but you show me uh, anyone, anyone, whether it's a person or a club or anything since this began, who's got everything right. And I'll show you a liar because no one has that. And that's the bottom line. You'll get criticism for saying, oh, but you said this. Yeah, but that's totally been a hypocrite. Have you said everything right and done everything right since this all happened and made predictions that have all come no you've not and and that's the problem is again we, we're seeing something fr- from hearts that, that that's not ideal where, where does this leave Stephen Naismith because initially I mean he'd agreed a 50% cut hadn't he yeah and now now they're they're saying um it's what is that 15 to 30 or 10 to, to 30 percent yeah, it wasn't clear exactly how it was shared out of base, but it said it was proposed percentage based on earnings ranging from ten to. So I wasn't yeah. I wasn't exactly sure how they were working it out. But. No, another thing, and and it's not it's not like the um the Michael Jordan documentary that's on Netflix for you guys in the UK and started over here on on ESPN, which was from the ninety seven ninety eight season, and and they basically came out and said this is exactly what Scotty Pippen is earning. Um, and he's not earning anywhere near like his teammates. Blah 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 is important. So there's there's no there's not that clarity now. We 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 know that someone's earning X amount per week in football these days because it's in the newspaper. Well, do we really know that's the actual truth? We don't. We we don't. I'm not going down the fake news route, but I mean just because we mentioned the narrative earlier in the show about taking you down a uh, if you're watching something, it's like CNN or Fox over here. If you watch CNN. There's more of a democratic leaning and a, a kind of anti-Trump. And if you watch Fox, you're perceived to be more pro-Trump. It's, it's like anything else. It's like if you listen to Radio Clyde Super Scoreboard, your your perception is, even if you're a, a Hearts, Hibs or any other fan living in Glasgow, the perception is it's, it's Rangers and Celtic orientated. Of course it is through there. Makes no no mistake. It doesn't hide that. It's leanings because that's its audience. Radio Scotland is meant to be more down the middle and not have uh, any affinity or bias or anything. Again, that depends who you ask. Um, does Radio Scotland have a bias? Well, again, if you've got... I like Kenny McIntyre as a host, really like Kenny McIntyre as a host, because he's a bit of a sweetie wifey, and he's not frightened to ask questions. And, and sadly, he's not on anywhere near as much as he used to be, but he's got Rangers leanings. Um, but I, as you and I have had the conversation before, there, there can be a tendency at times to go too far the other way. Like when I was doing Hearts and Hibs commentaries for Radio 4th, and then the two played each other, I'm known as a jambo. So at first, I was maybe a little bit pro-Hibs, which wasn't right. But you learn from that. So it, it, it's very difficult, this. But 
the, the one thing about these last two podcasts for me, I know there's been a lot of chat and, and it's something it's something that people might want to listen to or might not. But sadly, there's not been enough kind of hearts chat about this. And and hopefully for uh, the majority of the, the rest of this podcast, we can, we can kind of get back to uh, less of the politics uh, of Scottish football and, and more of the team that, that we love. And we always will, regardless of what league they're going to be playing in next season. So moving on, as Mark aptly got to at that point, we've probably had our share of the politics and the ongoing the ongoing disputes in football, not just in Scotland, but across the globe. And I'm sure we'll have more to talk about next time. But um, the homework we put a couple of weeks ago, uh, so we're getting to the football side of things, thankfully, was the Best Hearts Academy players. So the, who, who do you think as the best player that Hearts have produced. And um, interestingly, you and Murray in, in amongst the, the tweets we had out mentioned, technically, when did Academy start? Uh, Jordan started youth system, but I'm guessing beyond then. So that's in reference to the fact that the actual Hearts Youth Development, HYDC as it was known, which is actually technically no more, was started in 91 at the request of Joe Jordan. This was actually getting into more of the... I'm getting a bit more technical than I expected with this, because... I don't know if this is your approach. I was, when I say academy players, I I often just mean a player that club has developed. So it could be a club in the lower leagues that has no recognised academy, but they've come through the youth ranks. Is that is that your thinking as well here that we're not being too specific about this being someone who's come through the official academy? Spend thirty-five minutes or so on specifics. So let's just have a free for all. <laughs> Yes, fair enough. Um, Robert Martin said Lee Wallace, which um, he put a question mark, so he doesn't seem too sure, Robert, but um, a good suggestion. I, I, I was a big fan of Lee Wallace. Obviously broke through um, just before Hearts had the Lithuanian takeover, but really kicked on um, a couple of years afterwards. And it was interesting. Do you remember when he first came in? So Lee Wallace is a left back. Do you remember he got used in central midfield quite a lot? early on um uh-huh. but which i think showed his technical ability but there was a season and i think was it 2008 2009 i think it was under Laszlo when lee wallace it was maybe late i'm trying to think it was a season where i felt that lee wallace basically carried our team and he was our best defender and our best attacker he was just up and down that left side. He was almost like Patterson-esque when he was dominating the right. It's such an engine, up and down, getting crosses in the box, getting back, putting tackles in. Um, I was a massive fan of Lee Wallace, and it was a shame with his injury. Obviously, we got, we got money from him in the end from Rangers. Well, with some of it anyway. Um, we, on paper, we had a decent sale from him to Rangers. But before his injury, he was just incredible, I thought. The, the engine he had and the ability he had in both halves of the field. We've been fortunate, and everyone listening to this is different as to how long you've followed Hearts for. There'll be some that are newbies, others that have been there um, a lot longer than you and I. We've been fortunate at left back. We've had a number of, of good left backs, and, and Lee Wallace was a player who um, was great to watch. He, he really was. He had an engine in him. He had a had an eye for goal as well, but he was he was a pretty decent passer of the ball, and, and he's, he's done well, or he, he, he did well with, the, with his career. Um, for a spell after leaving Hearts, I think with with this whole thing as a whole, 
with this whole thing as a whole. What is that? That's just bluff. Anyway, um, the the whole topic, I think anyone that's kind of spent a decent enough amount of time in the Hearts Academy should should count. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, because you'll always say, oh, well, Callum Patterson, oh, we got him from there, or such and such, Hickey, we got him from Celtic. Look, if, if you've spent time with the Hearts Academy before playing for the first team, I think you can be considered for this. We're we're not sticklers for, for we're not sticklers for truth, are we? We'll call ourselves the SPFL. Yeah, the the Patterson one actually. I'll quickly skip to that because because you mentioned it. Um, because of course, Callum Patterson, not surprisingly, uh, comes up. Uh, Amrusa Litteron says this one may be open to interpretation as someone like Patterson was brought in from Tiny when he was older, so may not be viewed as an academy player by some because Patterson was with. Uh, Tynecastle boys until 2010 so when he joined Hearts he was almost 16 but yes he still spent some time with the with the Hearts Academy albeit a year I think in the end before he was um, at least training and then he was still 17 just when he got into the first team properly in 2012 made that debut at Wraith Rovers in a friendly um, Colin McGilvery says Patterson worth a mention surely was too good for us about two uh, for about two years and was bossing it, Cardiff consistently played well in the Premiership also. So I think that's fair, yeah, someone who's been developed, whether it's two years or ten years, by the club. Uh, Andy Grant says, the 91-92 Milk Cup finalists and BP youth squads, not sure if it was the same squad, Paul Ritchie, Locke had no bad careers, Alan Johnson came up via the academy as well, and um, Andy Lomax also says Richie Johnson Locke McManus was our equivalent to Man United's class of 92 now I saw some of Locke and Richie Alan Johnson had already left by the time I was watching Hearts regularly never really saw much of McManus was there was there much excitement or knowledge about these players coming through at the same time back then do you remember yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, Sandy Clark was in charge. I, I, I've said it before. Um, I was part of a number of Hearts fans in attendance at Ibrox Stadium um, in 92-93 when Hearts beat Rangers uh, by three goals to one to win the first kind of BP Youth Cup. And, and there was an excitement. Um, again, this is when your mind plays tricks on you. I would have been, what, 15, 16 at the time. Um, but, yeah, I... I Alan Johnson, I think, was part of that squad and obviously went on to score a hat-trick for, for Hearts at Ibrox in, was it 95, 96, I think it was? Yes, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so um, I liked... Ke- Kevin Thomas was a player I liked because he was a handful. Um, raw, but you saw potential. And, and Lockie, obviously, was was a leader. Um, but you get that in, in football rarely. You get it. Hibbs had a, a right good batch. Your, yeah. your Scott Brown, your Kevin Thompson, Gary O'Connor, Derek Riordan, all these guys. We had it in, in 92, obviously Man United. We're not talking, um, we're not comparing each of these on, on the, the similar platforms. Obviously United were far, Man United were far and away the best. Um, but sometimes you just get a golden generation that come through at, at one time. Right now in world football, Portugal uh, have kind of got that golden generation that are coming through, Joao Felix and various others. Um, and, and yeah, 19, that, that's, that's Portugal's second golden generation of the time I've been watching football, though. I know. I, that's just unfair. Um, facilities. I mean, honestly, all these, they don't have PlayStations or electricity in Portugal, so they're out playing underneath the streetlights and all that <laughs> bollocks. Nonsense. Uh, yeah, there was an excitement. And 
Sandy Clark, from from what I remember, and, and subsequently knew Sandy Clark, worked with him uh, on a few occasions and, and got to know him pretty well, him and his wife, Liz, who I ended up working with. Sandy was someone who the players loved playing for. Um, very much a disciplinarian, old school, but had that respect. This is where it gets interesting about styles and stylistically managers there, Jim McLean's back then, who he ruled with an iron fist. Um, Sandy Clark was strict, uh, but you could have a laugh with him, according to a lot of the players that, that played under him. I'm not sure if, if Sandy's style now, I think it's more, uh, it's more the exception rather than the rule to see someone like that. Your Neil Warnocks are still there, um, and, and still involved in some, some way, the, the kind of the 60s and early 70 year olds involved in, in football. Roy Hodgson's a good example of, of a successful, um, septuagenarian right now in football. But I think it's, it's become a more modern game. So would Sandy Clark make a good manager these days? He'd make a wonderful man manager, but I don't think um, you'd get away with that now because I think players coming through are being developed and they're too soft. And I think they would just take the huff and look to move elsewhere as opposed to getting their hands dirty. Um, that's, that's just me. Maybe, what am I, mid-40s? So... I don't know. Uh, do you like <laughs> modern methods or, or do you prefer old school methods? Is there a place for both? Can we mix the two? Is it possible? Yeah, probably a probably a, a happy medium between them, maybe. Uh, we, we've got quite a few votes for one here. Um, Perth Paisley, uh, until we surpass the record sale, Craig Gordon should be rightly be, should rightly be considered a greatest academy graduate. Odd Shape Ball says, really depends on if you mean the actual academy or just through the ranks. For the academy, it's hard to look past Craig Gordon. Uh, Kev says, if you're looking at what the players achieved and his transfers and fees, etc., it must be Craig Gordon. Uh, Jambo Kev, another Kev, says, Craig Gordon, natural ability, brilliantly nurtured by the coaches. Many others have gone on to do well, but I'd say he's had the most ability for his position and only injury stopped him playing for a top European club after Sunderland. Colin Grossman says, hard to argue with the highest transfer fee for a keeper in Britain at the time and 54 caps. And Corner Radish says, it would be it would have to be Craig Gordon in terms of subsequent career achievement, transfer fee secured, level played at, trophies won, international caps. I don't think anyone else comes close. And Craig Gordon, of course, has won over 50 caps for Scotland. Did earn that massive transfer fee of £9 million when you include all the add-ons. Uh, played in the English Premier League for over four years a lot of silverware and awards, so both team and individual. And he did well, but he didn't just do well after Hearts. He achieved a lot with Hearts as well, club captain winning silverware. It's 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 hard to see past that, I would say. It's hard to see past Craig Gordon for both ability and what he achieved and I guess what he earned the club as well, if you want yeah. to look at it from a financial sense. That's the way to look at it, because how much does an academy cost to build? X amount, how much does it then subsequently cost to run? When you get a, a check for nine million or whether it's paid in installments or whatever, that's that's more than paying for uh the, the academy, you would think. And yeah, I think he's the most successful that, that we've seen. Um I sent you a photo during the week, if you remember, and this isn't a tangent because it is related to Craig Gordon, of Jim Jeffrey's arm and hand with the Scottish Cup taken from the top of the bus in ninety eight with all the Hearts fans on on Princess Street, and I oh, found yeah, that yeah. by going, yeah, I found that by going through an album, which I've got. Laney keeps loads of these albums downstairs, 
and it's it's good to look back on. And this was part of an album that contained a Tank Castle Boys Club trip to Spain. Now I wasn't on it, but my wife was. And my wife was on it because her mum and dad were part of the Tyne Castle Boys Club traveling party okay. because my wife's brother, uh, Graham Hare, uh, was a striker for Tyne Castle Boys Club. So there's loads of pictures of the boys in Spain. Their goalkeeper was a certain Craig Gordon. Now, Lainey said to me before we came on today, uh, oh, there's, there's more photos where that came from. I'm like, well, I was looking to see any and I didn't see any of Craig. Saw plenty of Graham and some of the other boys that were playing, but there's none of Craig. So we're going to try and find um, some of Craig Gordon coming through uh, Tynecastle Boys Club. Um, and I did a piece with him a couple of weeks ago about a memorable match, France against Scotland. And yeah. he's hardly changed, Laurie. He's one of the nicest kids. And I follow him on Instagram, and, and he did a piece yesterday, a kind of Celtic Instagram takeover, where it was a day in the life of. And he's just the most humble for a guy who's achieved what he's achieved. He's not bitter at the fact that a knee injury cost him um, however much uh, as far as finance is concerned, as far as time is concerned. He's a very wealthy player based on what he's achieved. Um, but he doesn't kind of think, well, what might have been? He just he, he accepts and he's grateful for, for what he's got. Um, he's just a lovely, lovely kid. And uh, I think he's, he, came, he came from good stock. His dad, Davey, uh, was a goalkeeper. He, great parents and just big hearts fan. And knowing that he wanted to always give something back to the football club as well. There was no chest beating of him. There was no badge kissing of of other teams when he came back to Tyne Castle. Just a, a very respectful player and a lovely, a lovely kid. Um, and you couldn't ask for a, a nicer guy to go on and, and achieve things in life um, than Craig. Lynn says Gary Naismith. 40, yeah. he's, so he's someone who had 46 Scottish caps, a decent career in England as well, 1.7 million transfer fee. And again, right up there. I mean, fantastic player. I was not quite on the, the Cameron levels when I was gutted about him leaving, but I was pretty disappointed, and it was one of those where... I guess being younger again, not thinking about the the financial gain and the fact that we'd have to earn money on him. Just I just saw it as he's got so much of his career ahead and we're not going to see the best of it. And yeah, a terrific player. And similar to what we're talking about with Lee Wallace, different types of players in many ways, but he had such a good engine up and down that left-hand side. Um, sometimes I thought he was actually, his attacking side of his game was just as good as his defending side of it. Yes, Different players you associate with different things. And for Gary Naismith, I know he won all those Scotland caps and uh, won the Scottish Cup of Hearts in, in 98. But you'll always associate him with winning the Coca-Cola Man of the Match award when he was <laughs> thrown in for his debut, the bike, yeah. After Hearts had four players sent off at the weekend at Ibrox. And um, that defence, including Gary making his debut and Andy Thorne, uh, who'd come in from nowhere, the former Wimbledon defence and defender. Just a, another really, really nice player. A, a lad from Lone Head. Um, didn't, certainly didn't grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. Had to earn everything. I, I, again, another lad that's so humble. Yeah. I, I just wonder, is is that era of player, and I hope it's not, um, you're, you're kind of, you're Craig Gordons and you're Gary Smith. Tell me that there are still players coming through the ranks that 
are appreciative of where they are and tell me it's drummed into them and they're not these these young prima donnas that expect everything to 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 kind of happen for them please it's, it's it was quite good listening to i don't know if did you listen to the gary or watch or listen to the gary naismith open goal with Cy Ferry. It was a very good one. I enjoyed yes, it. Yes. Um, it was a while ago I listened, so I'm, I'm going to be paraphrasing quite a bit. But it was uh, when he got his, I think when he got his bonus, was it possibly after that game? I think apparently Gary Mackay went round to his house. Yeah, Gary was his agent for and, a spell. And said, and basically told him um, to go and, go and make sure you treat your mum. Go and buy her something good. Don't go mad with it. Don't be silly, and um, and he did that as well. He spent. I can't remember what he said. He, he I think he uh, gave his mum money to do up the living room or something. It was some decorating. Yeah. It was. It was a while ago, since so I can't remember the exact. But it was something like that. It was interesting that I think. Well, Gary McKay would have been around still. Was he? Was he not still? Or was he? Was his agent at the time? Well, he's not deed. No, no. Sorry, around hearts. I meant that was yeah, poor ah, choice. Okay. Poor choice of words. Would he have been, or would he have left for Airdrie by then? I I I don't know. You'd have to ask the person that wrote anyway, his book. Whether it was, I'm sure it was a guy. <laughs> kind of, it he was can't that, even remember. I know, I know, I can't remember. It was that idea that some of one of the older players would go around and tell the younger player, "You're getting this money, and you've not seen that type of money before. This is what you should do with it. Make sure your mum's sorted. You know, don't go mad. Don't be going up the town, um, and just you know." blowing it and and acting like it you know acting like you're you've made it already type of thing so you had those players so i guess it's i guess it's those older players to keep people grounded but then the problem is we'll get to the point where the older players have all been part of the generation where things were laid out on a plate for them as soon as they turn 17 18 so you don't get the older pros who maybe had to work harder for it and didn't earn that same amount of money so it's hard, and I guess it's interesting you mentioned the manager side of things as well, the disciplinarian and the old-style managers. Some of the best stories from not just Gary Naismith's, actually, but a lot of the open goal is, it was about Jim Jeffries and the, fa- the fact that Jim Jeffries was was certainly a disciplinarian at times. And it's that semi-final um, where Gary Naismith is meant oh, to Kevin be... Kevin McAllister semi-final. Yeah, he's meant to be marking McAllister. And although Hart's win and go through McAllister has an absolute storming game and he and he's shredding Naismith he's taking him on he's he's humiliating him humiliating him every every turn he's skinning him every turn and um and basically Jeffries goes off at him goes mentally as him pinned up against the wall and I think Gary says when he got home his his mum was like what's wrong with you why you look so down you've just won a semi-final you're into a final you're a teenager and he's like I don't want to go back I'm not going back. I don't want, I'm quitting. And he didn't, obviously. It was it was something, but I guess it can go different ways, can't it, sometimes? I mean some players yeah. might some players might have been might have been driven out of it. And it's and it's interesting actually. I know someone who who didn't make it as a footballer, and I don't know how good he was because I, I never saw him. He was I met him, he was a bit older than me. But interestingly the manager when he was still a teenager who pretty much ended his career he was playing he was playing at a certain Cowdenbeath at the time and a certain manager came in and didn't didn't take to him and he was still young he was a teenager and he said yeah he wasn't he wasn't the best behaved but he said someone had put their arm around me maybe given me some some words of wisdom I could have changed things but he said a certain Mr Levine didn't and basically 
got rid of him quite soon and from the off didn't like him didn't like his attitude and decided no you're not for me so it's interesting but he said maybe could have done something more if it had been a manager who'd put his arm around me and basically given me the words but he said he made it from the start he made an example of him in front of the rest of the team and i can't remember the specific things he said but just didn't fancy him and made it his mission to say no this is it you're done you need a lot of luck don't you if you have yeah yeah if you have a, a, a reasonable amount of ability, um, you then need a fair bit of luck as well to, to make it. There's all sorts of stories. A friend of mine, and my best friend that lives in Australia, Barry Wood. Barry played for Meadowbank Thistle and Livingston, uh, Whitehill Welfare, went over to Ireland and Waterford. He, he tells a story. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, he played at Scotland under-15s alongside Gary Wood, who was a, a striker. And... Um, one made it, one didn't, and he, he tells the story of of some get together, and his name was called, but Gary put his hand up instead of Barry, and he <laughs> went on to to get a deal. I don't know if it's true, but you you need a bit of you need a bit of luck if you have a a, a reasonable amount of ability. Um, if you have great ability, then hopefully you you make it. Another quick story about um, Gary Mackay, someone you were you were t- uh, talking about when Gary joined Hearts. And Robbo was there at the same time as youngsters in, in the 80s. I mean, it was Gary will tell you, and so will Robbo. They had Dad's Army. Uh, Alex McDonald and Sandy Jardin um, eventually came in. Jimmy Bone was there. Bud Johnson was there. And and there wasn't really the kind of middle ground. There were either older players or, or young players. But it worked. It, and it kind of gelled. And then ultimately, obviously, Bud Johnson left. And Sandy um, played a little bit. Uh, and then you you had the the eighty five eighty six season. Uh, it just it's funny how how things work. But I, I just love reminiscing. I love reminiscing, and yeah. it's been nice to hear about these young players that have come through the academy. Whether they've been there for ages, whether they've come to the academy from another academy, but if they've played a part in the Hearts Academy, there's there's loads. I'm sure we we haven't mentioned as well. But those are some of the main ones. I think that, yeah. that it, it was nice to to reminisce um, about today. I believe that Gary Wood ended up at Montrose later in his career. And there was a Gary yeah. Wood who was at Montrose, and he was a striker. But I'm sure he could also cover at centre-back later in his career. Well, there was a, there was a more recent Gary Wood um, who played um, in... Let's have a look. I've actually got him here. He was born in, in 88. He was Elgin, Inverness... Ross County, Montrose. He played three years at Montrose and for Martin United, he's, he's there now. All right, he so was this a, is a different one, sorry, is it? I believe so. I believe so, because Barry's same age as me. He's, he's kind of mid-40s. Um, so he was he okay, was kind okay. of so 15, he would have been 92. Um, so I believe there was a Gary Wood, um, another Gary Wood with one R, I think. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not okay. sure, but that was, That's fine. that was part of the story. Jarvie said, I'm not going to go to any other players, but Jarvie mentioned, if I vote for my best player now, can I withdraw and change my mind based on the feedback of others at closing time? Yeah, but you you can. (laughs) However, there will have to be an internal investigation into that, which will be carried out um, by the Around the Funnel team. Um, We will get Deloitte in. We will be selective in the evidence (laughs) we give to Deloitte, and we are sure that there will be evidence of absolutely no wrongdoing whatsoever. So, yes, is the answer to that. (laughs) 
Okay, I think that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. I've not got any, I don't think we need to add any new homework as we've still got some uh, previous homework to go over. We've got some good responses. Thank you for sending them on uh, your favourite non-hearts footballing day out and we're going to go through them next week and of course we have the homework which was randomly set to you early in the show which was give us the title or how would you sell uh, to netflix or amazon prime the expose the feature the documentary on the spfl debacle the voting debacle the corruption in the spfl and (gasps) allegedly allegedly. sorry allegedly it's okay we have a you're, you're in the States. I'm in, I'm in the UK. You can't just sue every, anyone for everything here. It's not that. It's we, not we, we have a working title. Yes. And you, dear listener, shall decide if the working title is good enough for the eventual title or can you come up with something better. The working title for our expose into the SPFL right now is Subterfuge and Skullduggery. Over to you, boys and girls. you've you've, you've made my life easy this week and until uh, next time uh, thank you for tuning in goodbye